All right, everyone, welcome to another show of Heal Thyself. This is going to be a really important episode, a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, we got a really good guest. I've been waiting on this guest to come in for quite a while because uh, he's so knowledgeable and so passionate. Really, it's like the mold version of me. So by mold, I mean this is today's show is going to be the mold show. It's going to be dedicated to uh, empowering teaching about what is mold, where is, it, where is it found, how it affects us, what it means. And the reason why is because not only do I have my own personal experience with it, but there are so many people being afflicted by mycotoxicity and don't even know it. And then the other side of it is that there are doctors don't even know it. I mean, it's even, admittedly, even naturopathic doctors, we don't get enough training in uh, spotting the, the whole window of what uh, mold toxicity looks like. And then from conventionally, you only get one, a few days of, uh, of uh, learning about mold. So it's something that is persistently overlooked in our field, but these people are suffering. And if, if, if you fall into it, you know, you may be one of the people who this podcast can benefit. Regardless, it's going to be a really good one. Um, we have no product review today because I wanted to dedicate that time into just teaching you all about this. All right. So without further ado, let's go into this knowledge bomb segment about mold. So what is mold? Mold's a fungus, right? It's a multicellular organism, right? So you hear of yeast, right? And uh, candida, for example, that's a unicellular. Mold is multicellular. So automatically it's a little bit harder to address and work on and kill. What color is it? It's all different types of colors. White, black, brown, green, it doesn't matter. Traditionally, we think that it's black mold that is really the toxic one. Uh, and, and it is, I, I can attest to that in my experience, but really it's all different types of colors. There's one commonality across the board. It loves dark and it loves damp. That's where they grow, proliferate, and start causing many issues. The biggest problem is not only the species of mold, but the spores that it's creating. It creates these spores and they flow out into the air. They're hanging out, just, just flying through the living room, flying to the bathroom. And then you come out of your bedroom and they go in your uh, respiratory passage. These spores are what's causing something called chronic inflammatory response syndrome. I'm going to go into what that is but they're lightweight. So they, again, they flow through the air and then at some point they go to the rugs and go to the floor. But the biggest places that we're finding it are throughout homes and schools and workplaces and the walls and the floors, appliances, furniture, um, bedding, really anything that's really porous or fibrous and, and where, where spores can lodge and just stay and mold can grow and stay like clothes, papers, books, linens. These are all materials where, where mold is just having uh, the best time ever and growing and having kids and, and just living their best lives. But the issue is we're not living our best lives, especially with how sick it's making us. So before I go into a few other things, at least some science stuff, I wanted to say, yeah, I mean, most of my health, my life has been pretty dang good, knock on wood. Um, I felt pretty good, never had issues with illness. Uh, and then moving to California, especially living by the beach immediately, uh, I started to feel off a few months into it. And then I traveled all around last summer and staying in all these Airbnbs. And I came back after that and I wasn't the same. And I started trying to figure out what was going on. Well, I noticed that I was having profound fatigue, Epstein-Barr type fatigue, right? That wipes you out. Um, some respiratory issues, a little bit of sinus pressure. But that started building up. Well, that cup didn't spill over. And I say cup because remember, I, I did this analogy before, is that we have this cup of, of health, right? And we have all of these things that really start filling this cup and it grows and it grows and grows throughout life. Some fill it up slow, some fill it up really fast. Uh, heavy metals, pesticides, illness, infection, stress, no exercise, poor diet. All these things start building up this cup until it overflows. So the point for me where it overflowed was when I moved into this new place, um, my second place living here. And in that second place, it looked beautiful, looked modern, looked clean, looked great, um, but it was an old exterior so the belief was that 
already I was exposed to something. But it wasn't the moment, and I spoke about this on the first podcast where I opened a book, uh, and my friend had said, that's a moldy book. I, did, I go, what are you talking about, moldy? I smelled it, and my eyes went dark under, and I started getting very heady. And that heady feeling was the major symptom I had for mold. And by heady, I mean, it's sort of like if you're, you're at a bar and you take a shot. It's, it's getting, you, you feel really buzzed from what, what is happening is that there's inflammation in the brain from those spores because they're going up your respiratory passages. And, and that, is, that was the beginning. And then it broke down into something where, man, I was, at, I was up to the point where half of these podcasts in the beginning I was doing, it was hard for me to put my words together, or recall words, or, and my memory is still not fully the same. Um, it's getting better. But the issue, the reason I say this all is because I take care of myself. I do, and I've been doing it for many years. So look how important it is to know that mycotoxicity and mold, especially for those who are sensitive to it, uh, can affect you. All right. So keep that in mind. That's, and, and this is, this is why it's a personal show because I've, I've been through this and I, I know, I know what mold toxicity looks like and it's, it's not good. It was a good six months of, uh, not being healthy or not feeling healthy only till the past three weeks have I started to finally feel like myself again, uh, which is nice to have myself back. Anyway, back to this podcast. I just wanted you to understand all this. So water damage buildings, this is where most of these mold exposures are happening. Well, water damage buildings, how common is that, Dr. G? About half of the buildings in the country are water damaged, half. So actually there was a Finland study that's, that concluded that there was severe morbidity and mortality right? Uh, and the rates, in rates of water damage buildings, uh, and they even, for a short amount of time, a short period working in an effective, affected building, these people were uh, manifesting these different symptoms. So what they found is out of 30 people working in this water damage school in Finland, 11 of those 30 people in, I think it was a few months, developed autoimmune disease immediately. And what, and what happens is the prevalence of autoimmune disease in Finland is only 5 to 7%. Well, these authors concluded that it was fourfold higher in this school in Finland. And it also, these people were showing over time, because they were followed for a long time, alarmingly higher rates of cancer compared to the population. So they included that basically occupying an infested home with mold uh, or the building as little as two to three years, already there can be serious impairment. There can be long-term damage. Why? I mentioned those spores. I mentioned mycotoxins, right? It's these toxins. What happens is our immune system reacts to these toxins very specifically and creates something called chronic inflammatory response syndrome. This is mycotoxin illness. Is this, does everyone experience this? No. But uh, the patient population who are exposed are underdiagnosed severely. So uh, again, are all patients under, under, who are exposed to mold having the symptoms? No. Why? Only about a quarter of us do, 25%. But still, a family of four, statistically speaking, someone's going to be getting sick in a moldy house. Um, and and it's, a, it's a genetic change in something called the HLA gene. And that HLA gene basically encodes the immune system and tells the, the immune system to behave in a certain way. But it also helps metabolize and break down. It codes for metabolizing, breaking down of these mycotoxins. And for people who have this HLA change, right? When it comes to metabolizing mycotoxins, there's a 465% reduction on the effectiveness of metabolizing mold, toxins, and mold spores. 465% do these people have issues breaking down mold. So what happens is these mycotoxins build up in the body. The immune system reacts more and more and more and more compared to Let's say your brother who doesn't have the genetic change. So again, I said a house of four, one of one person statistically, um, statistically pre predisposed to having this uh, mycotoxin illness, and then they manifest these symptoms, and they're getting better when they're going to their friend's house or on vacation or their aunt's house or school, whatever it is, and they go back home and they're getting sick, it's going to be hard to believe them when the rest of the family is okay. And that's sort of what we run into a lot of the time. So... Everyone who's exposed to mycotoxin doesn't get sick, but it's also a function of other things, like how long are they exposed for? What's the type? What's the species? What's the age of the person? 
the health, their, 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 their health before they even walked into that exposure. What's their diet like? Remember? So it's a whole picture. Um, but when you are exposed, it's like a tidal wave on your health. So I want you to pay attention. Where there is water damage, there will likely be mold. Again, remember, water damage and mold go hand in hand. So you have to start questioning and be, and be vigilant and knowing what the history of your home, if you're a homeowner. And when it comes to renting, we'll talk about resources that you can find when we bring in our special guest. But a really good resource that I uh, refer to and just came out is uh, a colleague of mine. She was on the first show, or the second show, Dr. Jess Petras. And she wrote an excellent blog on mold because it's very comprehensive. It tells you basically what it's connected to, um, where to find it, some uh, uh, some interventions, what you can do, uh, resources. It's really comprehensive. So th- those of you who don't know her, get on Google, go look at Dr. Jess Petros' mold blog. It's excellent. So uh, she does explain that mold is connected to neurodegenerative diseases like ALS, um, MS, Alzheimer's, autoimmune disease, cancer, sarcoidosis, which is a really rare but um, nasty disease that I've seen, uh, fibromyalgia, and then things like DNA damage, right? One thing that is really interesting is, and I mentioned before, is the cognitive changes. The cognitive spectrum of what we see is so crazy to see, especially me, because the loss of memory, the loss of word recall, changes in personality, people tend to start straying towards anger and depression. It's sort of like you are a shell of your own self when you're exposed to this. Because again, there's brain inflammation and brain changes. What happens is the mold displaces these fatty acids in the brain, and the brain's about 60% fat. Well, where are toxins stored? In the fat. So it, uh, it, it displaces these fatty acids and cause oxidation and inflammation. So the, the goal is to reduce that persistent inflammation in the, in the nervous system. So mold's everywhere. If you eat a, a berry that's moldy, are you going to have mycotoxicity? Not compared to if you're living in a chronic exposure moldy home. Um, the species that are most popular and most uh, virulent right now, or they're all pretty bad, but the really nasty ones are uh, Alternaria, Aspergillus, uh, Cladosporium, and Penicillium. Um, And I mentioned this this syndrome that happens is it's called chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And that's when, that's mycotoxicity. That's when you're exposed to these spores and your immune system is reacting. What we see in these patients who are are exposed, especially long-term, is the unfolding of symptoms that usually begin as sinus or respiratory conditions that are persistent, okay? And then they then start changing into infections of the respiratory system that are chronic. Then we see headaches. Then we see fatigue, particularly after exertion, right? Like, oh, I used to be able to work out and, and do this HIIT class, and now I can't do this HIIT class. I can't even get to the HIIT class. Start paying attention to that. Another interesting thing we see is difference in regulation, especially thermal regulation. We see people who are usually balanced in hot weather get really, really hot or vice versa. And then really interesting is something that I, at, at my quote unquote worst, was when I was, uh, I had unquenchable thirst, constantly dehydrated and urinating constantly. And what happens is it dysregulates this hormone that regulates that balance of thirst in urine, thirst in urine. So really, if you find yourself outside of diabetes wanting to drink and drink and drink and chugging water, chugging water and peeing and peeing and peeing, pay close attention to those symptoms because they're telltale signs. Another telltale sign is numbness and tingling and um, sort of uh, as what Dr. Jess on her blog said, is like a static shock throughout the day or throughout the night. And that's again, going back to the displacement of EPA and DHA and sort of like a wire being exposed, like a little bit of neuropathy type symptoms, ringing in the ears following the same thing. And then visual changes, we see that. The nerves of the eye, same thing. Those nerves are being, uh, the, the fatty acids are being displaced and causing issues with blurry vision. You can take a test, actually, a visual acuity test to test for mold, uh, mold issues. And, and what you'll see is, uh, I, I believe Dr. Shoemaker has this test on his website. I think it's a $15 test. But 
he believes 90% of people who fail this test have mold exposure. So if you want to make a quick intervention before you start spending, spending money and just have some sort of confirmation, do the visual acuity test and see where you're at. I failed it. I failed it once and then I failed it twice. Uh, I haven't done it again. So let's hope that I'm, I, I want to get a little bit better, but let's just see. Uh, that's a great intervention already. Um, insomnia. Uh, I was up, I was staying up till three or four in the morning every night. I could not get to sleep, um, and then just sleep dysregulation, waking up persistently throughout the night. That's that we also start seeing things like that: stiff joints, stiff muscles, changes in libido, 100%, digestive changes, allergic responses due to the histamine response. Uh, and guess what? It's not just mold. That's a co-infection, right? Your immune system is overburdened with this mold exposure. And guess what starts creeping in? Other other overgrowths of different pathogens. So you usually see co-infections, and they co-infect you with these biofilms. They they're like they're like uh, trench coats that they put over their bodies and they hide and they evade the immune system and it protects them. And these biofilms are nasty because they build up in the mucosa of the body, particularly in the nasal passages. And they, there's a test that they can do for that, but those are hard to break down. It's sort of like Imagine if uh, you have a, a dog bowl, right? Your dog bowl, when you empty out the water, is still that film in there because the dog's all slobbery and gross. Well, that's what it is. Um, so biofilm and uh, th those are the things that we need to understand. It's not just mold you're getting rid of, but you have to also break down that film. So it's really important to understand the pathogenesis of what mold does. And there's different resources out there. I just mentioned one. I know that my special guest will mention um, that there's a different modules out there to learn. Because again, if you're being, if you're in it, you want to know, okay, I'm in it. What do I do? Right? Uh, we've confirmed the visual acuity test. I failed it. I have so many symptoms. And now I'm going to get someone to check my home and confirmed it and confirm it. And then after that, then what? Okay, there's different testing we can do. What I like to do is a mycotoxin test, Great Plains Laboratory, you do a urine, your urine test, and we can see just what species, pretty much what species and to what level you're being exposed to. Um, there's a, the same lab does an oat test and that that's, that's a telltale to show uh, basically how your body's metabolizing, what it's creating, if there are any other infections going on with it. So I like to pair them actually both together, the mycotoxin and oat test. Um, but conventionally speaking, say you can't afford to go to a functional doctor, a naturopathic doctor. Well, you can ask your conventional doctor to do different tests too. They can really help paint the picture of what's going on. And this is the TGF beta test, the VEGF test, uh, metalloprotein, the MMP9 test, and the complement C4A. If you just ask your conventional doctor to do those, hopefully they're covered by insurance, then you'll have a better idea about what's going on. Usually we see immunoglobulins, IgG and IgA, uh, really, really down in the dumps because they're they're fighting and fighting and trying to keep you healthy and getting rid of this exposure. But it's hard to get rid of something when you're in it every single day, every single day. It's a cycle. So number one would have to be removing yourself. And this is what I did. I removed myself from that exposure. And automatically, when you remove the obstacle to cure, you're already starting to clear away that road to healing. You're just now having to give the body what it needs. And sometimes that's in the form of supplementation. Sometimes it's in the form of a prescription, whatever it is that is most needed for you, but pay close attention to what you could be doing. So Again, I, I mentioned the body knows how to heal. It's not just attacking mold. Um, it's We have to support the body's detoxification systems. We have to have the right protocol to detox. We have to get rid of the toxic burdens, even not mold, right? You can live in a moldy place. You could leave. You could still be exposed. Your immune system could be overreacting, hyper, hyper, hypersensitive, and then you're eating like crap, right? And you're putting all this crap on your body. It's sort of like changing your lifestyle to facilitate the best environment to heal. So remember, it's 25% of us. You know, that's that's a lot of people that that are exposed or that when exposed to mold are going to start showing symptoms uh, or symptoms. Really important that we need to remember is that there's resources out there. 10 years ago, it was very different. Now it's a hot topic for a particular reason because everyone lives in a home. Everyone at some point went to a school or goes to school, and everyone at some point goes to work. So it's understanding what 
who we are in relation to our environment and how our environment's affecting us because it really, really, really can take a toll on our health. Health is far past just you. It's everything else outside of you too. So let's be more vigilant. Let's let's have better ideas about what our exposures are, what we can do. Know that there's awesome functional doctors, naturopathic doctors, medical doctors out there who are just leading the way and pioneering new ways to look at mold. And yeah, no, you're not alone if you're if you are uh, exposed to mold. And yeah, you can always reach out to all of us. And uh, I think it's about time to get our special guest. I mean, I've been talking too much and this guy is going to be on fire because I know him and I've seen him talk and let's just get him on. So without further ado, let's go to our guest segment. All right, everyone, today's special guest. I've been super excited about having a special guest in. It's been booked out for about a month with him and it's in particular going to be very special because there's more people than we think being affected by mold. So this is the president and founder of The Mold Guy. This guy is someone who came into my home and did a thorough investigation knowing that I was hypersensitive. He has an awesome understanding of the science. Uh, so without further ado, Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. First off, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to be here. Uh, this is something that is really rewarding for me because it takes a whole lot to really uh, get the word out in terms of awareness. And this is something that is absolutely needed. You know, one of the things that you mentioned is that there is a lot of people that are really impacted by mold. And I'm here to tell you that we have an epidemic of sick homes and sick buildings that are out there. And people are walking around and they're feeling a certain way and they don't know why. Mm -hmm. And there is a divide between the medical community as well as in the field of what we do that thinks mold is not really a major issue. And so this is something that we're going to have to continuously work together because when you talk about consensus and you talk about having people believe that you're being impacted and you're being exposed and it's impacting your health and your your way of life, yeah. it's something that uh, you really need to really get the right people behind you. Yeah, the, and the interesting with mold, thing with mold is that it's only, we'll say like there's a household, right? Mom, dad, brother, and sister. Only one of them statistically will be affected by the mold. So it's hard to believe someone when they have these abstract symptoms that it's in the home, right? If no one else is being affected. But, interesting. Yeah. But, but I'm sure that when you come into homes, you see all the family members being affected, right? Well, this is really an interesting point that you bring up because what happens, this is very, very common. Not everybody reacts the same way when it comes to mold exposure. Right. Many times what we find is that there are people that actually are in a home and they seem to be fine. Mm -hmm. Their health uh, seems to be okay. They're not having any issues, but there may be one individual that's actually having a problem in the home. And so that's really problematic and very stressful for number one, the person that is dealing with it, because now am I having mental problems? Am I a hypochondriac? Uh, am I thinking about something that really isn't happening to me? Right. That couldn't be any further from the truth yeah. because there's a myriad of reasons why this happens. Um, you, you're aware that roughly 25% of the population does have a genetic predisposition, mm -hmm. right, in terms of not being able to do proper detoxification. That's one element of it. The other element of it happens to be that you have people that have genetics that are built differently. You and I are men, right? Mm -hmm. But genetically, we're, we're very much different, mm -hmm. right? And so we also have different history in terms of being in various types of areas or exposure, and our current health position is absolutely different. So all those take into consideration in terms of how people are going to react. And that is one of the most common things that we see, and it's unfortunate, is that there could only be one person in a whole household that's being impacted, yeah. and it's really disrupting the entire family. Yeah. You know, what, what really drew me to you was the fact that you understood the whole scientific basis, right? So you weren't just someone who comes into the home, inspects it, does these old, unproven uh, testing uh, procedures, and then says, here, this is what you have. What that means is just you have it, but you actually applied it into what, what not only where it's found, but you understand the science and you understand that 
these are genetic changes and this is how it can affect the symptoms, right? Um, you go to different conferences actually, right? Uh, that was really cool when I heard that, your story about how you got started. But how, how often are you going to these medical conferences? We go to about five to six medical conferences a year. Yeah. And I think that's really critical because we, we actually do a lot of collaboration with many of the doctors that are out there. And I told you a little bit about my story in terms of how we got involved in this. I don't know if you want me to, to talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, go, just but, go into it a little yeah. bit. I mean, you have, um, but ahead. I've been doing this for about 15, going on 15 years. Yeah. And... You know, when we first got into it, it was just more of just doing mold inspections and really helping people understand what they needed to do to do proper remediation in very selective areas throughout the home. But as time went on, we started to see reoccurring themes where people had not just allergies or watery eyes or headaches, but they had some really deep-rooted health issues to the point where it actually was very debilitating. So... I have an identical twin brother who actually is in this business as well. He's on the East Coast, Steve Levy, certified uh, mold inspections mm -hmm. of New Jersey. And we were on a conversation uh, talking about the similarities of what we're seeing. And then I saw in a trade journal with the American Academy of Environmental Medicine a workshop on mold and toxicity and what it does to the human body. I said, Steve, we need to go to this this sounds yeah. amazing. So it was in Phoenix. We uh, actually uh, got on a plane, went there. There was about 120 doctors that were sitting in this uh, room. And we were blown away at the information that was being presented to us. Yeah. We knew that there was issues, but we didn't really have the science behind it and the the papers that provided the proper due diligence and understanding. And this was about five or six years ago. And as we got into the breaks, these doctors asked us, so what do you guys do? Where do you practice your, your medicine? And we go, we're, we're not doctors. And they go, well, what are you doing here? And we said, well, we're indoor air quality professionals. Uh, we have a very specific and very comprehensive approach in terms of being able to help people understand what they're being exposed to within their home. And we have a myriad of different types of sampling methodologies that we use to help them have data that they can share with their doctors. Mm -hmm. And they go, wow, we need you guys. Yeah. And I said, well, that's exactly why we're here. Yeah. So yeah. that's where it really started. And so ever since then, we've been going to all the top uh, medical conference conferences from ILADS to uh, ICI to EHS. I'm going to the IFM conference. Mm. In, uh, Are you going? Yeah, yeah. I might see you there. Oh, great. Oh, that'd be great. So we'll have to uh, yeah. definitely share yeah, some yeah. stories. But uh, I'll be there, and uh, I'm excited about it. And it's really uh, a key place for us to be. Yeah, I, I am a huge advocate of understanding now in medicine and pushing not only what our relationship is to our food, but our air quality or environmental um, predispositions and what, what we're exposed to, right? So a lot of this show, we're talking about pesticides, herbicides, chemicals, but I purposefully held from talking about mold because I wanted to dedicate a whole show to it. So how... You're a busy guy. You're going into homes. How many homes are you seeing positive testing going, whoa, you have mold? And not only do you have mold, this is a serious amount, and this is making you sick. Well, this that's a really interesting question because there's going to be a high percentage of the time that we're going to see a problem. And let me explain to you why. Most of the time, 85% of the time, we're actually work, working with people that have some type of health issue, and they're going to their doctor, and the doctor is having them on some type of uh, clinical protocol. They may have gotten a little bit of improvement, but now it's starting to flatline, and certainly some people are even seeing a decline. So the doctor says, something's going on in your environment, and what they say is, it can't be. I've had people come in, they've done testing, or I've done remediation. So... They say, we'll call these guys, and uh, they hand our uh, name and number over mm -hmm. to them, and we go in there, and 100% of the time, we're finding problems. Mm -hmm. And it's because of the approach that we're taking. You know, one of the things that many people don't understand is that when you look in terms of what we do in our industry, everything is measured based upon the mainstream population. And unfortunately, the people that are hypersensitive, the people that have these health issues, immune-compromised individuals, are people that are not part of the mainstream population. They're actually a subset of that. And so the standard of care 
the type of comprehensive approach has to be up here yeah. as opposed to being measured with the mainstream population. That's one thing. The other thing, too, is, is that the type of protocols and methodologies that are being used to determine the impact of these environments are antiquated. Yeah. They're, they're, they're so old and they're really giving people a false sense of security. So when you have somebody come in, people don't know who to really listen to. They bring yeah. a mold person in. Yeah. They think this guy's doing testing. They don't know whether it's quality testing or not. So that's one of the, the real problems that we have today is that we have a divide. Remember we talked about the divide, the divide being that there is old school mentality in our field mm -hmm. in terms of the new and real, what I call, new technology that's more progressive to really understand what truly is going on in your environment. So can you speak to that then? Because I have a lot of people say, yeah, you know, I've got my home tested for mold. It was negative, so everything's fine, but they still have these symptoms that are in many ways encapsulating exactly what mold toxicity or mycotoxin illness looks like. So what, um, what type of things do you see in that capacity where is this... Are they doing old testing and it's not accurate anymore? It's not sensitive anymore? Was it ever sensitive? What, what, are, you, what are you seeing? What are you, what's your issue with that? Well, first off, I think um, in terms of our approach, as far as what we think is going to be more appropriate, first thing you want to do is you need to understand the history of the property. And so what has been going on? And there could be a lot of history there that many of these people don't know. And there could be some history that they do know. And what I mean by history? Events. Moisture is the real issue here. Mold is just a byproduct of the real major problem, which is the water loss or the moisture that's there. And that's what people really have to spend most of their time on. I was just on the phone before we came here with a lady that was looking to purchase a home, and she gave me what we call an ERMI report. And we could talk a little bit about ERMI. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, Mark, can you tell me if this is a number where I should buy this home? And I said, well, I can't because it's only a screen. It really doesn't tell you what the true issues happen to be. So it's all about really, number one, understanding the history of that property, where these particular moisture issues originated and migrated to, and then looking at what the objective may be for the individual. What are they trying to accomplish? Because every individual has many different types of object objectives in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. So once we do that, we then have a walkthrough of the home. Because many times we're sitting down with people and we're trying to ask them questions about whether they remember certain things and they just can't jar their memory. You may, because you know with certain patients, the memory is not always that clear. Especially in these, these people who That's have That's right, illness, yeah. absolutely. So we actually have a, them give us a walkthrough of the home. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, when we do that, it's amazing how people's minds start to remember certain things. You know what? I remember over here we had yeah. this particular problem. Or I remember over there we had that problem. So it's really, really helpful to do that. But then we get into a very comprehensive assessment of the entire property. And that's the real key there. It's, it's really identifying areas of where mold could be harboring. Because what I tell people is this, and this is extremely important, mold is extremely evasive. It's most of the time you can't see it. It's behind walls, it's in cabinets, it's under carpet. And even if you do see it, it's so deceptive because it could be many different types of color variations from black to green, to white, to yeah. brown, you name it. And people don't recognize it because of the fact that they're thinking about it's black. And yeah. They think about black mold. Yeah. So those are the things that we typically look for. We're looking for areas where I call footprints, where you've had staining, paint peeling, buckling, separation of building material, things of that nature, looking at the existence of moisture and we utilize very, what I call, high-tech equipment, infrared cameras, moisture meters to be able to determine that, right? So those are the key things that we look for. You really want to identify where these source areas because we're big believers in source removal. I tell people, be careful of the term treat because when they talk about treatment, they're talking about spraying a chemical to kill something. And when you're dealing with mold, it's not about just killing it, it's about removing it because what happens is that there's certain molds 
And because all molds in themselves are known allergens, mm -hmm. certain molds can be pathogenic in, mm -hmm. in scope, but there's other molds that can produce what we call a mycotoxin. Mm -hmm. It's an actual chemical. It's a secondary metabolite that's produced by these different mold species. And you can't kill that. That is a residual. So even if you have the residual uh, effects of all the various types of mold and spores and fragmentations that's there, and it's laced with this mycotoxin, this is going to be a problem, and it's going to really affect the people in a negative way. And I can attest to that because, you know, you came to my home and you put on your hazmat suit. And, uh, I mean, you take all the precautions already. You brought in this giant bag and you opened it up and all your tools came out. And when I say you went into every crack in that home, every cabinet, every drawer, you had your, your meters out and everything, uh, that is a type of thorough approach one needs to take in evaluating their home, correct? Because a few weeks later, you know, the, the landlord himself had their own mold people come and I was like, they're not even looking in my drawers, you know, and they're not, you know, is that even, is that a moisture meter? I don't even know. And then they're taking this, these air samples that were, you know, mold spores are, they go to the ground, right? They, they go to the rugs, they, they fall. And I, I was talking to you about this air sample he was taking and you say, it might not be accurate, you know? Um, and that's what they were doing. But very interesting is how thorough you were and how passionate you are about it. But waterlogged is the main thing, right? Is it poor construction that you see mostly the issue or is it just pipes bursting? What's happening and where in the bathrooms and the kitchens? What, where are people who are listening? Where do they need to start watching? That, that's that a really good question because the building itself, it's a living, breathing system. So you really start from the outside of the home. And so what you're looking for is this home being properly protected in terms of any type of moisture or water that can be flowing into the building envelope. So we look at the grading, we look at the landscaping, we look at the exterior walls, the windows, all the potential infiltration points from the roof line all the way down to the base of the, um, the building. And if I can mention this, if you recall, we did a little walkthrough around mm -hmm. your building, mm -hmm. and we saw a number of areas where there were actually holes within the building envelope yeah. that were major problems. Yeah. And so those are key things that you look for. You're going to look for any type of damage that you see, because if you're not protecting the building envelope, then what's going to happen is, is that you're going to have the ability for moisture to make its way into the cavities and have the ability for mold to grow. The other thing is that it's about moisture management around the outside. So you want to look at your gutters, you want to look at your grading. You don't want anything that's going to be coming off the roof to end up cascading down and then pulling along the exterior uh, wall because it then has the ability to migrate into the building envelope as well. Yeah. So when you have that, it gives you a little bit of a basis of what you want to look for once you get into the home. And though it's those areas in terms of maybe grading that may not be associated with plumbing or maybe even the HVAC system, which we'll talk a little bit about. Mm -hmm. But the, the key things that we see are going to be building defects, roof leaks, because people tend not to maintain their properties as well as they should. Yeah. We look at plumbing leaks, underneath kitchen sinks, vanity cabinets, very, very prominent where you're going to have water issues that are there. And even in bathrooms where if the grout is not properly sealed, it's actually making its way through those cracks into these walls, which may have happened in your particular situation, mm -hmm. if I may bring that up, mm -hmm. because as you know, we opened up that porthole and we saw something that uh, people actually overlooked. Yeah. I remember you doing the moisture meter around the bathroom area and like the surrounding area around the toilet. And it was way higher than anywhere else inside the house. So we found that little crawl space mm -hmm. uh, in another room that led behind that, back to the bathroom behind That's right. that area. And that was kind of concerning, right? It was dusty, it was musty, and you took your sample and it came back really high. And that's where 
as you recall, a lot of my symptoms were happening in my room. Well, it was the type of mold that I was concerned with, too, yeah. right? So it, uh, if I may, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was Stachybotrys, mm -hmm. uh, and Stachybotrys is known to be uh, a mold that is a high water content mold, but it's also known as the black toxic mold. Yeah. And so it does have the ability to produce a mycotoxin called trichothecene, which can be very, very uh, harmful to humans and animals. So uh, we tested it, uh, and we obviously determined it, and I brought it to your attention that I was concerned. And certainly when you have hypersensitivity issues or even health issues, it's going to be something that you really want to be concerned with. People need to understand that even though it's in the wall and you're not living in that wall, it still has the ability to move into the living space and impact your indoor air quality. Yeah. And what people look for, and this is a total misnomer, this is very, very important, they look for the existence of moisture. And if they see that the moisture is no longer there, they think it's okay. That couldn't be any further from the truth. Because what happens is that when the mold dries out, it actually starts to pierce off and create very fine particles. And those fine particles, are easier to be airborne, mm -hmm. and they stay suspended in the air a lot longer, which means that it gets into your breathing zone. And because these particles are so fine and small to the submicron level, it can actually get into your lungs and break the blood barrier and cause real harm yeah. to the body. So that is one of the things that people, we talked about the air samples and how air samples can be a situation where it gives you a false sense of security. Yeah. The reason being are, are, are manyfold, but I'm just going to give you a couple right now. First off, it's a snapshot in time. In other words, they typically run these air samples for about five or 10 minutes, and that's it. The other thing too is, is that they're looking for spore concentrations and so, or spore types as well. Yeah. And there's always going to be dynamic changes in an environment. So you're not always going to see the types of concentration levels that you're looking for. And then you're also may or may not be able to see certain molds like stachybotrys because of the type of spore that it is. It doesn't really become airborne that often, yeah. right? But when it dries out and when it is to a point where it's creating fine particles, that's when the concentration levels to spores is in the magnitude of what you're seeing or even detecting with these spores. Right. So if you have 100, let's say, spores of X mold, right, mm -hmm. and then you're not even taking into consideration that it could be 10 to 20, maybe even 100 times higher when it comes to these fine particles, mm -hmm. which could also be carrying the mycotoxin. That's really interesting stuff. Because I guess in the field, at least what we're talking about now is just more spores and you know how they're affecting us. Um, but I guess it's it's always more, right? The fine particles and how it's affecting us. Uh, what about, so actually I wanted to bring, I, I was at mm -hmm. a, a talk by uh, Great Plains Laboratory, the ones mm -hmm. who do the mycotoxin testing. And this doctor was talking about mold and, and this family moving to a new home and everyone getting worse. And what they did was they, it was starting in the bathroom, they, t they tore off the walls and it was a brand new home built. Mm -hmm. And it was black, black mold behind the, I guess it was near the, near the sink. The kid's bedroom, tore it, black mold. And understanding is this, this the construction, the foundation is there. It's raining, all the elements, and then they're just building over it, correct? First off, mold doesn't really care how old it is yeah. in terms of the building or uh, where it's located. Yeah. Because many people think, well, you know, I'm in the desert, so yeah, I'm not yeah. going to have a mold issue. Yeah. That couldn't be any further from the truth yeah. either. So what you're really talking about are certain issues where there could have been a building defect that was there. And many times when these builders are building away and they're closing things up, pinholes can develop. And over time, you have these slow leaks that actually are happening behind the walls yeah. and you can't even see them. And so that becomes a big problem. And so when you're dealing with these issues, you have to be very careful. And this is one of the things that people really don't understand because they bring in a plumber, for example, to try to correct it. And my goodness, I, I feel so bad for the plumber because most of the time they're not even protecting themselves. They come in and they start opening up these walls. And what do they do? 
Well, if there is mold there, everything now becomes released. Because as you remove the building material, you're creating disruption, yeah. and now it just creates a major concern of cross-contamination. So what happens is that now you're not only dealing with an isolated area, as you may have or may not have, depends on you mm -hmm. know what's going on there, but now you're dealing with a bigger impact because you have this contaminant of molds and, and potentially mycotoxins that are actually just traversing through the air and going on all your uh, belongings, and yeah. that becomes a big problem. So people need to understand that. That was actually one of my issues was the belongings, right? What I found was that a lot of my books were moldy and mm -hmm. clothes. I remember we spoke about clothes a little bit. Um, there are some places that, that people can get their clothes, knock on wood, professionally washed and everything is, comes back normal. Um, and which that's what I did. I, I went to the, uh, the person you suggested, but it's really interesting that they can help at least it for many people. It's a huge stressor. Imagine how stressful it is. You mean tell me all my clothes have to be thrown away? All my books? What about furniture? People up end their lives yeah. just based on this contamination. And that's that's why when you met me, I was in that cycle of saying, what is going on? Yeah. You know, do, do I bring these clothes? Do I bring this? Do I bring... At the end of the day, I got rid of most of my stuff, but a lot of people can't do that, right? You're absolutely right. I mean, as people were... Pat racks. We love to keep things, right? right? We love right. to hold on to things, and we have storage units that we'll have, and we won't even go to these storage right. units for months, maybe years, yeah. and and we keep things, and these things start to gather up, and if they're in the home and so forth, then that's not good because clutter is our enemy, and so is the dust that's associated with that because it's the dust that actually harbors all the contaminants from the spores to the fragmentation to the toxins, wow. and they're layered on your contents. So those are things that you need to take into consideration in terms of what do I do with my contents? How do I know that my contents have been impacted? And I tell people there's different progressive ways that you can use. For example, ERMI is what we call MSQPCR. It's a DNA formatting. It's the most sensitive form for detection and identification of various types of molds and species of molds. That's one way you can do it. You can actually test the dust for the various types of mold species. You can do mycotoxin testing. Yeah. You can even do endotoxins as well as bacteria. And we could talk a little bit more about that mm -hmm. as well. But the key thing when it comes to dealing with your contents is that you have to look at it from this perspective. Number one, if you have mold growth, you're going to want to discard it. You may have other people make claims that it could be cleaned or what have you, and that may be good for somebody that has a healthy immune system, and they may be fine with it. But typically, when you're dealing with mold growth, those are things you're going to want to discard yeah. on yeah. your contents. But what about the the what I call the second layer of contamination, which would be a condition too, right? That's the settlement of spores and so forth throughout your belongings. And that is a major problem in terms of exposure. So I tell people this. First off, you need to sit down and you have to have a conversation with all the family members. If you have other family members or if you're by yourself, you should categorize all your items. And I'd say break it up into three categories, right? Because you have number one, sentimental value. You can't put a price on sentimental value. There's right. a, those are things that people want to hold on to. And, and sentimental value in terms of contents could be many different things yeah. from pictures to papers to you name it. And yeah. those are very difficult to clean, yeah. but they can be clean, but they could be very expensive too, yeah. right? In terms of cleaning. So Number one thing would be to identify the sentimental value. Then you want to break it down into cost. Where are the most expensive items? And what would it cost for me to clean versus replacement? Mm -hmm. And then you have other items that have no value at all. So when you start to break those down into those three categories, it really kind of helps you bring things together. I tell people at the end of the day, your health is the most important thing. These items, with the, with the exception of sentimental things, just are things. just things. Yeah. They're just stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can acquire things later on in life when you have a healthier and more active lifestyle, yeah. right? Because you've really cured yourself. Yeah. And the key thing here is avoidance. 
When you avoid the exposure, the body is going to react and it's going to find a way to get better. And some people need help and assistance through doctors, through various types of protocols to be able to do that. So if you have items that you have that you want to keep, I tell people, store them away. Put them off-site somewhere. And when you are ready, because you're going to focus on your body, and live a life of being a minimalist, right? <laughs> it, be, it made me a minimalist. It really did. I mean, you should see my closet now. It's a quarter of what it was. But all that clutter is gone, you know? Uh, I don't think I have any enough, quote-unquote, things to make my room cluttered or uh, my living area cluttered. It's just, it's just things, so having the necessary stuff and whatever you value. Um, but that that was a huge lesson in this, aside from like the mycotoxicity and home, all that stress, the huge lesson is really like, how are you going to reshift your life? Because it can teach you a few things too. Yeah, it is definitely a lifestyle change. Yeah. There's no question about it. It's easier said than done for many people. Yeah. But at the end of the day, your home is your sanctuary. Yeah. And you know better than anybody being a doctor that it's so important to be able to have a home that is clean and it's going to be one that's acceptable for you so that your body can regenerate. And by the way, you will get better. As long as you remove yourself from that exposure and you do the things to help detox yourself, Mm -hmm. you will get better. We've seen this over and over and over again. We have cases and case studies that we've done where we've seen people debilitated and clean their home and then got themselves to a point of being healthier, and now being healthier, they're more acceptable to their environment. Because at the end of the day, we live in a toxic world. We can't change the way the world is, but you know what we can do? We can minimize it. We could do those things that take the exposure down to a level where it's so much easier for us to deal with. Yeah, that's why I tell people, I mean, it's not about (laughs) overwhelming and giving anxiety to people, but more it's a matter of empowering them enough to know look, this is the world and we have these detox systems in our body, but it's hard to detox when you're in it, right? And as I was talking to you before this, that's my case. Like I, once I got out of it finally, even the Airbnb, which we'll talk about, but mm-hmm. that right after was, t- was moldy and I was sick and I finally got out. And once I finally got out, I, my memory started becoming a lot stronger. Word articulation was back. And the biggest thing was personality. I was a lot happier. Mm-hmm. I was a lot more talkative, a lot more you know, dancey, like, you know, like my personality, right? I love that. That was, but that, but I'm telling you, when you first met me, I was very, like a shell of myself. And that is, I never, ever, we don't learn about mold to that capacity in school. And I can't imagine conventional medical school, you have about two or three days of it, right? We had a, a week, but still, we don't learn to that depth about the environment. But one thing was really interesting we spoke about was, I told you about the Airbnb, and you mentioned Airbnbs and hotels. What do people need to know about Airbnbs and hotels? Well, I'd be really careful because when you think about it, the the Airbnb are really designed as a money machine. And so it's all about putting something together. Typically, these Airbnbs are probably going to be in nice areas, and and, uh, it's going to be very desirable for people to, to want to be in the area. And so they tend to want to look at... Um, areas or homes, rather, or uh, condominiums. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, in areas where they could be in desirable places like we talked about. But the problem is, is how are these constructed? Most of these pla- uh, buildings or even the uh, homes are actually being retrofitted with the least amount of quality, right? And so they may even be building over things that we don't even aware that we're not even aware of. So the place that you had is a great example because it was actually renovated. Yeah. And it was hard to even yeah. decipher what was going on, right? Yeah. Was so that a new place? it was like a new place, right? Yeah. But that's what happens with these homes. They they put them together and they're not even thinking about doing a quality job of doing proper remediation, so right. they build over these things. Or they may have poor maintenance, and this is something that we see quite often. And so because you have people coming in, you're coming out, and they're having cleaning people do whatever they need to do, they're not really watching the things that they need to watch for. Yeah, That would be something that 
you really want to pay close attention to because when you go into these homes and sometimes you don't have the luxury of going into a Airbnb because you're getting there at the time of uh, your trip or whatever it may be and you might be stuck there, right? But on a hotel basis, there's a different story there because hotels are notorious for having issues. Um, Most of the time, a hotel, you're going to have what I've seen, a high, high, high percentage of the time. I would even... I'd say 95% of the time, you have issues inside the ventilation system in these rooms. And when you turn that on, you may, if you're feeling um, sensitive in that room, it may be something that's going on with the ventilation system. So what we were talking about earlier is that when you go to a hotel, you ask them, can I look at the hotel room first? And you go into that hotel room and you see through your senses, rather, how does it smell? Because if you smell something there, you want to do a beeline to the door and go down and tell them, look, I need another room. Mm -hmm. Or if you see something in terms of staining or even mold that's there, then you obviously want to do the same thing. And you can even turn on the air conditioning or the heater to see how you would feel. Because some people that are really sensitive, they're going to feel it right away. But if you smell something, that's a problem. Odor is a problem. So, so is that a good rule of thumb when someone walks into a new Airbnb, hotel room, a new home, that musty smell, is that, would you say that's more times than not mold? I would tell you that anytime you have an odor problem, you got an issue. Yeah. Absolutely. And another thing you want to be very careful, we have a guide that we use. You can go on in my website. Uh, it's a buyer's guide for people that are buying a home or renting a home oh, and yeah. it's 16 different steps and things to look for oh, when you're going and uh, looking to purchase a home or if you're looking to uh, rent a home, because that's something that is really very stressful, especially in, a, in this market when it moves so quickly. Yeah. But if you're, if you're smelling something, then that's a problem. Yeah. And if you're seeing something, that could be a problem as well. What's your website? It's The Mold Guy, Inc. It's www.themoldguyinc.com. You say that mold can creep and hide behind the walls. What happens then? Traditionally, they remediate it. What, is, then, is it gone? Is there a special way to remediate it that more people, it's not a conventional way? Because um, if, if there's water damage, let's say a pipe burst in your basement, do you have to leave? Do you have to move? Do you have to sell your house? Or... Or how do people go about this, these homeowners or people who are renting? Homeowners and renters, they're, they're two different scenarios yeah. that you're dealing with, right? From a homeowner perspective, you have a lot of control. Yeah. So what you can do now is that you need to correct the moisture issue. What was the cause of that water loss? That's the first thing that you need to do. So you take care of that moisture issue, and then you bring in a quality company that can help you understand the full impact of what's there. We talked a little bit earlier about bacteria, and this is one of the things that is often overlooked, and it's something that needs to be um, brought out in terms of more awareness, and that when you have a category of water loss, right, there's different categories of water, and uh, this is through the IRCRC S500, and the categories are, one, clean water, Category two is gray water, and category three is black water, which typically would be some type of sewage loss or what have you, or even rainwater or even some type of river overflow that uh, actually impacts the home. So my argument would be is that there is no such thing as clean water effect because what happens is that the minute that water touches the building material, it's automatically gray water. And so the problem then is, is that you could have various types of bacteria that can develop. The true primary colonizer in a water event, it's not mold, it's bacteria. Mold takes 24 to 48 hours to grow, where bacteria can grow within hours, and it multiplies very, very quickly. So that was one of the things that I wanted to make sure that people understand, is that you really need to be able to take care of the moisture issue as quickly as possible, but bring in people that understand the different types of category of losses and be able to do things that are going to be required to remove the impacted material. Because people will think that they're going to dry it and it's going to be okay, but if it's a category three, it should be removed because of all the different types of contaminants that are associated with that. So the homeowner has more control bringing in and fixing the things that need to be fixed. 
the only downside is is what the cost would be and what does that mean because there's different things that you have to take into consideration. You have the fact of correcting the source itself, which is a retrofit that could be very expensive. You have the remediation in terms of the cleanup, and then you have the build back in terms of the renovation side of it. So all three of those need to be taken into consideration, and it could cost thousands of dollars to be able to do that. And then also understanding that the full impact of your home it's not just isolated to that area. So now you have to do further cleaning to make sure that there's no impact from what I call secondary damage or condition two, which is the settlement of these spores and fragments and toxins throughout your home. Now, when you're dealing with a renter, that is so, so complex. Because yeah. renters, unfortunately, they love many times the place that they're in. And the other thing, too, is is that when you have rent control, it's hard to give up yeah. a very inexpensive place, especially if you're in a location that you really love. And there are people that have been in these uh, condos or in these apartments for not just a few years. We're talking about 10, 15, 20 years. And they have amazing rates. And I'm here to tell you, I've never really seen a building owner a management company that's going to do the best in terms of taking care of that place in the best interest of the occupant. It's always in the best interest of their pocketbook, yeah. right? And so it depends on who you are and what you're dealing with because if you have health issues, then what's going to happen there is that um, you're going to have to make a decision on are they going to be able to retrofit this? Are they going to be able to clean it to the point where it's going to be acceptable for me? Wow. Wow. It's, uh, it's how, how complex is it, man? It's just, it's, we have home, we have rent, we have, um, all of this water damage. I think something interesting, look, you're here, your brother's in New Jersey, but what about in between every, everywhere in between? Is there a, a database that someone can look at? Let's say if they live in West Virginia, is there something where they can access real, like people like you, because um, from what I hear, there's not that much regulation. When you talk about regulation and you're talking about having a license, I mean, there are two different things yeah. in terms of, of um, the governmental requirements. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing with a, a company, you want to make sure that they're properly certified. And there are certifying bodies that are out there that you can go to. Uh, the American Council for um, Accredited certifications is one of the top accreditation bodies in the indoor air quality space. Uh, you can go to the IAQA uh, website. They have uh, members that are there that are very quality oriented in terms of their knowledge and their base of understanding of what needs to be done. But you're right. We have a, unfortunately, the area that we focus our attention on, which is the hypersensitive people yeah. that are the ones that have these health issues, there's not a whole lot of people that understand what needs to be done, and they become underserved. And to the point where I would tell you, they're drastically underserved. And when we go to these medical conferences, what we find is that these doctors are in desperate need because they really, really want to help their patients to, to get better. Yeah. And they're really having a difficult time, not only finding inspectors, but also finding remediation contractors. We uh, have set up ourselves in a way, I have my own company, uh, the mole guy here in California. We go up and down uh, California from as far south as San Diego and as far north up to the Bay Area. Uh, my brother handles the tri-state area, but he actually covers some more area in terms of the um, East Coast. We have another company, Certified Mold Assessments of Tampa. They handle all of Florida. Oh, and then okay. we have another group uh, we inspect uh, is a technology company that actually does remote things where they bring in technology, they have a tech that goes out, and they're able, through a command center, be able to see what's going on and try to walk through and be able to help people from a remote type of basis. That's so cool. so we're doing things to really try to help create a platform. We've uh, myself personally trained another guy in Colorado, but we want to create a whole new breed of consultants that are really honed in and understand what it takes to really work with this market because it's unfortunate. People are getting a false sense of security. They don't really understand 
really how to work with this particular niche of customers, and it really puts these people in a in a really bad situation. Yeah, we need that. We do. We we need that because in our field, we know that more and more uh, people are getting sick. So, um, and it's not just mold. You're doing also. You you're looking. I remember you were looking at all the wiring and EMF exposures. So you you are. It's indoor air quality. It's not just indoor mold quality, right? Yeah, we do a full array of different types of sampling methodologies. Cool. We're just not mold yeah. uh, focused, but uh, whether it be mold, bacteria, certain types of, of uh, various toxins that are yeah. there, um, pathogens, and it can go through VOCs, which are volatile organic compounds. We do heavy metals. We do a myriad of different things depending upon what the objective is and what people are looking for. Awesome. So uh, we we feel that we can help people and do it in a way where we can give them data because that's what we do. At the end of the day, we provide you data that gives you the guidance that you need to understand what's going on within your home, what you need to do to correct it, to hopefully make it ex- acceptable for you because nobody can guarantee acceptability. Yeah. That's one of the things that people need to understand. And once we're doing that, we actually take them through a process where we can help guide them through the entire entire A to Z process. Awesome. In other words, we're there for them. We don't do the remediation work, but we have vetted the uh, remediation companies within the areas that we're in. They understand exactly the sensitivity of our clients. And we, every single day, we're looking and talking to people to, to help come into this field because it's really, really needed. Yeah, I would love to see where it goes in 10 years and see if there's a whole new industry because of all these people that you're teaching. So I think that it's an honor to have you here, you spearheading that. It's going it's to be beautiful. So, um, yeah, and for that, with all that said, I thank you for coming. Um, and we can find you on... Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, one other comment I want to make, because it's really difficult for, for many people to be able to really understand the mold issues and what it means. So we have uh, one of our uh, top uh, consultants put together, Brian Carr, the master, uh, the mold uh, master uh, type of uh, program where there's an eight series of modules that people can go through from A to Z to learn about mold and what they need to do because it's really important when you're going through this to understand it. And so you can also go to my website and uh, check that out as well. Uh, it's the Mold Master Class, and if you really want to get some detail in terms of being able to understand and take control, because you need to take control of this, it tells you not only about what mold is and how it develops, but it takes you through the process mm-hmm. of actually finding and working and really understanding what you need to do to bring yourself to a point where hopefully you can control this uh, type of situation because it's needed for a lot of people. Yeah. You just made the point. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of us out there, and that's one way that you could do it. Again, my name is Mark Levy. Uh, the name of my company is The Mold Guy, uh, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to be here and uh, help uh, create the awareness and help people get healthier and have a better lifestyle in terms of uh, their living state. Yeah, you're passionate about it, which is beautiful. That's what we share. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So thank you for coming in and you all get in touch with him or go to the website and search for uh, some resources about how you can help yourself long term. Um, So yeah, again, thank you. All right. What a talk that was exactly the way I wanted it to be delivered. And here's why. Every detail, empowering, knowledgeable. And now after this whole show, my only hope is that you take this information. And if it's not you who's affected by mold, statistically speaking, someone you know is. So help them know that there's a way to heal. You have every resource after this show. So yeah, I mean, this is this is awesome, and this is why we do what we do. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for the next show. Please rate, review, subscribe, support this show. We are blowing up for a reason, so let us keep doing it. Much love to you all. Thank you all. See you later.